Check, check, mic check. Check, check, mic check. <laughs> Welcome to Podcast Envy. I'm your podcast boss, Andrea Klender. This is episode 70, and today I'm talking responsive content strategy with another Chicago podcaster, Dion McGill, host of Off the Beaten Podcast, a show that I describe as a love letter to his hometown and my current town for the last 20 years of Chicago. That love letter isn't without the occasional critical eye, however, especially in these times of escalating violence, racial tension, economic inequity, and mounting pressure between residents and police. And as I read that, I just felt really heavy. I actually recorded this intro once and then had to scrap it because things have recently taken another turn for the worse more recently here in the city with organized looting and vandalism. And it breaks my heart, A, that it's happening at all, B, that it's being covered by the national media in a weird, very slanted, not so informative way. And if you say, meh, maybe I'll skip this episode. I don't really care about Chicago. Wait. We are also talking about podcasting while black. Dion says he's used to being, quote, the only speck in the milk, unquote, and how he has been credited with single-handedly, quote, bringing diversity to town, end quote. We talk about waking up to the realities of other people's lives that are not part of our own experience, keeping professional boundaries between your job and your podcast, doing the things you admire, and the dangers and joys of getting sucked into Twitter. And truthfully, what resonated with me most as I was listening back to the episode during editing is this realization that we as podcasters as content creators, as humans who both tell stories and listen to stories, actually have the power to change people's worldviews. In this episode, I confess some things that I didn't know about my own history, my own city, and Dion tells a story about what he observed firsthand during the Chicago protests following the murder of George Floyd that actually made me think twice about the official line I was hearing and buying into from the mayor's office. Side note, I do love our current mayor, but it gives me pause and reminds me to check my assumptions. Off the Beaten Podcast and Dion McGill will be linked up for you in the show notes and at thecreativeimposter.com forward slash pod envy zero seven zero. And just so you know, Dion is such a good conversationalist. He and I could have talked for at least another hour easily, but we restrained ourselves. And in fact, in the interest of time, I decided to cut two of my favorite parts of the conversation, which were so good, but a little off topic from podcasting. It was painful, but if you want to hear Dion riff about gentrification in Chicago and the changing face of the city and wax poetic about the seedy back alley that is Twitter, click through from the show notes to Podcast Envy Craft and Culture, where I'm releasing two 
bonus outtake quickies with Dion in our secret members-only podcast feed. Membership to Craft and Culture starts at just $5 per month. And yes, besides outtakes, we also talk about podcasting over there. You will learn things, not just be entertained. And speaking of entertainment, I hope this episode will make you laugh and think as much as it did me. Let's find out what lights Dion McGill of Off the Beaten Podcast up about podcasting and our great city of Chicago. Dion McGill, thank you so much for joining me on Podcast Envy. Oh, thank you for having me. It was my absolute pleasure. So I am going to start out with a hard question. Okay. And that question is, why do you podcast? Ooh, yeah, that is a hard question, isn't it? You know, I was a fan of podcasts for years and I've been blogging since I was a teenager. I remember, I think it was it Greatest Journal and then from Greatest Journal to MySpace. I actually have a like a handful of friends that I like we became acquainted through my blog on MySpace. That was probably the like pinnacle of my blogging success. <laughs> wow. <laughs> just to, like, hey, everyone has their thing. So it was just something that I was a huge fan and I was like, I would love to do that. And then finally, I heard this guy on YouTube, his name's Wes Watson, and he's like kind of motivational speaker, kind of not at the same time. But he was having this conversation about, because if you admire something, he goes, so often we watch people and listen to people do things that we admire them for doing. Why don't you do it? And he he says, you know, why don't you acquire what you admire? And that like that day, I was like, you know what? I'm so going to podcast. I'm, I'm going to make my own podcast. And so that was really just kind of how it started. And actually, at that point, I already owned a microphone. Uh, I had actually from purchasing a uh, blue snowball, I think it was. Okay. To using it was two years. Actually, it was <laughs> sat in cellophane in a box <laughs> in the corner for two years. And when I heard him say that, I was like, you know what? By the end of this month, I'm going to record something and that's it. So I podcast because I love it. It's an art form that I really admired for years. And, you know, I found myself constantly saying, I can do that. I can do that. I don't know if you're a fan of musicals. It's like a um, chorus yeah. line. Yeah. You know, I'm watching Cisco pitter pat and I'm like, I could do that. <laughs> so I would do it. Right. And that's exactly why I do it. Tell us a little bit about your background, because I know a little bit about your background, and I know that you have some varied experiences that have sort of brought you to where you are today. So give us like the broad strokes of some of the things that you've done in the past. Yeah. So if you kind of just go backwards from today, I, I work, I do communications now, which is a, a lot of blogging, a lot of newsletters, a lot of social media. Before that, I did violence prevention, basically as a teacher for a nonprofit that did gun violence prevention in the city of Chicago. Before that, I was a Chicago public school teacher. Before that, I taught in Alaska. And then before that, I was in the Illinois Army National Guard for nine years, born and raised in Chicago. So other than the military and my two years in Alaska, I've always lived here. I was raised on the south side of the city in the Roseland community. And so... Yeah, I'm a, I'm a Chicagoan. <laughs> and that's really the heart and soul of your podcast, too, Off the Beaten Podcast. If I had to describe it in a nutshell, I would say it's like a love letter to Chicago. I love I love that description. <laughs> it's yeah, it's, you know, it's, as podcasts do, it's evolving. But the the idea behind it was and it kind of ties to the Wes Watson moment 
And I think shortly after that, I was watching a news clip and it was the president just kind of talking about Chicago. And I was like, you know, this happens so often. People constantly talk about Chicago and it's always in these negative terms. And, it, you know, people don't get to hear or get to know the beauty of the city. And, you know, even when people do come, if you spend your entire time in that, you know, few square miles of downtown area, I tell people like the beauty of Chicago, the downtown covers about 15% of it. You've missed so much about this city and what makes it great and the interesting people that you meet here. And so I that's how the topic came to be the, the topic of the podcast. I was like, it's going to be about the beauty of Chicago and the people and the stories and all the interesting stuff that most people don't get to hear about. Yeah, it's true. And even as someone who, so I moved to Chicago in 2000, the year 2000, and I had just graduated college in Kalamazoo, Michigan, and I was 21. And I was starry eyed, like (laughs) big city, you know, everything seemed like edgy. And I moved to Bucktown Wicker Park, which uh, 2000 was kind of like that neighborhood. It was To me, as like a middle-class Michigan girl, I was like, this neighborhood is edgy and gritty. And (laughs) and there's part of me that misses some of that grittiness and some of that artsy kind of stuff. And it's still there, but I I feel like Chicago has been changing so much and becoming so much more vanilla and corporate. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. I actually lived in Ukrainian Village. Okay, uh, yeah. For a couple of years. And yeah, you know, it's it's interesting. I, I imagine Chicago will eventually hit some kind of tipping point for the the gentrification. I mean, you know, it's such a beautiful city. It's so yeah. horribly overpriced. And, yeah. you know, it's it's one of those things. It's like I hope in the future to definitely explore that more because. One, I don't think it's sustainable. And it so much of the city, unfortunately, just like you, what you described, it loses its character Mm -hmm. and it loses its identity. You know, we've seen that. I mean, things change, things evolve, but all change is not good change. And you kind of have to sit and have a discerning eye about what change is good and what change isn't. Mm -hmm. And when you're pricing people out of neighborhoods that they've lived in for 20 years, maybe that's not the best change, you know? And so definitely a topic that's really near and dear to my heart because I'm one of those people who who very easily could be priced out the city. <laughs> so, yes. <laughs> and so, I feel that. you know, I always, I'm always in that fight to some degree. When you're looking for or thinking about your show, how do you kind of pick and choose what each episode is going to be about? How do you do your topic selection? You know, I'm a weirdo. I'm a very big self-proclaimed weirdo. And for me, it's like, if I'm going to find it interesting, there's like 20 other people who find it interesting. And I'm totally okay with that to begin with, you know? And so uh, for me, the the idea of interviewing people was just, it, it actually stems, and I, I was thinking about this actually yesterday. It actually stemmed from one event. I have a friend named Veronica and she and I would get Mexican food after training jujitsu. And we'd actually go to our friend's jujitsu school in Niles. And so we'd go to this, this school in Niles and afterwards on, uh, I think that was Thursday night, we would go and get uh, Mexican food. And I started, because the, the conversations were so hilarious, I started Facebook living them. And it actually got to a point where people were like, are you guys going to be talking this week? Because we would just have these like 
conversations about Chicago and about education and gentrification and, you know, politics. And I was like, this is exactly what my podcast should be. Just me and someone talking about whatever and, you know, letting them express themselves so the world can see, you know, some of these beautiful, going back to the idea of these beautiful people that habitate the city. And so for me, it's like almost every day I probably see like 20 people. I'm like, I want that person on my podcast. I've drawn a very strong line of not mixing my podcast with my professional life. Mm. And that actually limits me in a lot because a lot of the people I would love to have my podcast are people I interact with for business as well. And so I've kind of, at least for now, made this very strong line that like I don't invite people that I will have business dealings with. And so that limits me in some ways. But for me, it's just, is it a topic that I would be interested in? And if so, I'm running with it and just go from there. Why that conscious choice to keep things very separate between the podcast and your professional life? Man, I'm not the most, what's the way to put it? I'm always worried that I'll say something that's completely out of <laughs> out of pocket because if you know there are certain things I'm very passionate about and my professional life kind of revolves around these issues. I, I work for an organization now that is violence prevention. We're very closely tied to the health community and doctors, and I don't necessarily want to put my employer in a position where they have to be kind of held responsible for something I've said. And so for me, it's just a very clear line. This is my personal life, has nothing to do with my business life. So, you know what I'm saying? For me, it's very easy to say, so mind your own business. Very few of my, for perfect example, very few of my colleagues know I have a podcast. It's not something I talk about like all the time at work. You know, my friends, everyone knows, but (laughs) but I I very consciously, you know, I'll kind of say to someone like, oh yeah, I got a podcast, but it's not something you know, because I, I just don't want to get that entanglement. And I'll give you a perfect example. Actually, I had a blog. I still have a blog. But one time I posted a blog about the Chicago police that was very strongly worded. And sure enough, uh, my boss got all these emails telling people to fire me. Oh. And sh- she was like, that has nothing to do with work. Like, <laughs> yeah. And I was like, yeah, I know. And I didn't I've never mentioned you in it. You know, so I just want to avoid that as best I can. It's actually really smart. And important because it's come up a few times recently in the podcasting space. There's been a few news stories. And now, of course, I can't remember the details. This is why I was never a good history student, because I would memorize details for the test and then immediately forget all of them. (laughs) (laughs) So there have been a few cases that have come up of people who've had prominent government positions or Mm. teaching positions or things like that who have a podcast. And they said something and they, they're thinking in their mind things are separate, but, you know, they overstep somewhere. Or they lose their job because of something that they said that is coming back to reflect on something else. And there are some companies who are actually having people sign, you know, as companies become more and more aware of this, there are people who companies are having you sign things when you get hired that state that you will not be starting a podcast, you will not be blogging on the side, you will not be doing any public facing content creation, just to prevent that thing from happening, I guess, and kind of make sure that you're not accidentally speaking on behalf of your employer. Yeah, you know, and it's interesting. So the job I have now, I actually got because of my blogging, the woman who hired me, my former uh, supervisor, was a fan of my work professionally. And then she actually read my blog, my personal blog as well. And she just really liked the work that I did. She goes, I really like your writing. I really like the social media you do. And she was like, I want you to come work for me. And so, you know, there's always that link. But yeah, and it's one of those things I always ask if I'm in a position to have a job or something, I mention it. 
You know, I ask about it. I'm like, look, I have this, you know, now I have a podcast. I have a blog. I write. I do a little bit of the YouTube thing and I have opinions. And so if that's an issue, we need to just go ahead and get that out and open now because, you know, and for me, it's one of those things. It was here before you and it'll be here after you. So you just have to be okay with it rather than me stop doing it because that's not happening. Yeah. (laughs) So the podcast angels have landed Does that make them sound like fancy fighter planes during the annual Chicago Air and Water Show? Hmm. And they are here with a very special message. Most podcasts are boring, but be not afraid. With Podcast Envy and the Creative Imposter Studios, your podcast boss, that's me, has you covered with Everything you need to make your podcast the envy of everyone else. From coaching our DIYers inside the Craft and Culture membership program to VIP consulting and podcast design to full service production and editing for our brands and organizations. If you have a podcasting dream, vision, hot, burning desire to make a show that matters, we probably have a solution for you. To find out just how we can work together in designing a podcast that you and your audience will love, book a complimentary consultation and we'll chat for 20 minutes, the perfect length of time for a cup of podcasting tea. Book your session at thecreativeimposter.com forward slash T420, that's T-E-A-F-O-R-2-0. Zero, linked for you in the show notes in your episode description in the app. Oh, and one more thing. If you are listening to this episode of Podcast Envy on the day that it is released, that is Thursday, August 13th, there is still time for you to sign up for tonight's launch your podcast class with me via Zoom. I have a few tickets available on a sliding scale. Pay what you wish. Class starts at 7 p.m. Central. The link is in the show notes. And if you want to learn more about how to let your voice shine as a podcaster or a YouTuber or a Zoomer or any other medium in which you are digitally using your voice to communicate and lead and inspire and tell stories and promote a brand or business. My session during the PodFest Global Summit is coming up on Friday at 11 a.m. Central and you can still get a ticket. Even though part of the conference has passed by, you will get access to all of the replays if you get your paid ticket. And if you get your free ticket, you will get access to today's sessions on Thursday. And then all you have to do is message me your confirmation of signing up for your free ticket. And I will send you the recording of my premium masterclass session all about how to use that instrument, which is your voice. So how you and I first met was through the podcast that I produced with my high school students. Mm -hmm. And we were doing a section on gun violence. And I brought you in to talk with the students. And I was actually surprised. So one thing, they loved you. They thought you were amazing. And I remember like you were supposed to be there for 45 minutes or something like that. And they kept you there for like, I don't know, our full time period (laughs) where I was like, you guys, we have to let 
we have to let Dion go. Like we have to let him go. <laughs> like you cannot keep in there. You know, they're so funny because they're curious, but they don't always ask guests questions because sometimes they don't feel comfortable or they feel intimidated or something like that. But they were asking you all the questions. I just remember they were like, <laughs> what do you think about this rap singer? And what do you think about this and this? And your level of disclosure with them was so refreshing because a lot of people, they're like, oh, I'm in a Chicago public school. I'm talking to high school students. I need to be really careful what I say. I need to like filter everything or I'm the grown-up talking down to the students, Absolutely. you know, even though they're not trying to do that. And you were just like totally on the level. And your straightforwardness about talking about a potentially sticky, difficult situation like guns, like I don't know how to talk to them about gun violence, you know. Yeah. They months later were like, remember when Dion came and we were talking about rap music and violence? And they just appreciated the way that you communicated with them so, so much. You know, it is funny. I remember that day and I remember being like, like you were like, you're supposed to be here for like 45 minutes. I think it was like an hour and a half later. I'm like, I'm like, do you want me to keep talking or should I just like leave or? But no, it was so great. And it's funny because I, I always say, so I used to teach in a public school setting and I always told people I was the best teacher and the worst teacher simultaneously because the exact same way you saw me talking to your students was how I would talk to my students in the classroom. And I'll never forget one time having an administrator come up to me and go, so Mr. McGill, uh, a couple of students came to talk to me about this standardized testing. I said, yes, sir. He goes, could you please stop referring to it as the man's test? And <laughs> And how the man's trying to use the test to close the school down. I said, sir, is any, any of that a statement false? Like, please explain to me then and I'll explain to them. And he was looking at me like, I wish I could fire you right now. <laughs> but you're obviously protected by a union. And, I, you know, I'm not going to lie. That is the biggest the robbery I can do for my students is lie to them about the real world and real topics, you know, and I always tell them, you know, I, I always say fact, there's facts and opinions. And I would say, this is my opinion. My opinion is that the man wants you to take this test that he's created that we are not going to do well on, right? We know we're not going to do it. It's rigged against you. Yeah. And I say, you know, and we talk about the mayor, you know, they, I'm like, look, you guys read the, the headlines. You can look at what's being done. The school's being closed. You tell me what the mayor thinks about you, you know, and, and you draw your own conclusions. And when you look at the facts, they would come to these conclusions like, man, we getting played. Y'all getting played. I'll go into our confirm it for you. You're getting played. And so they would take that to the administrator. But like, yo, why are you letting them play us? <laughs> Mr. McGill wants to know the same thing. So go ahead and tell them. And then the administrator gets angry. Because I'm being honest, at least, you know, from our perspective. And so, yeah, I would have the exact same conversations in my classroom all the time. But always with the idea of we have to change all of it. those dynamics have to be changed and we are the people to change them. So we change them through our knowledge building. We change them through our activism and advocacy. We change them, you know, through all these different things. It's always the course of positive change to get the results we want. But you can't change anything until you admit there's a problem and identify what the problems are. So, yeah. So for me, it was very easy to have those conversations because I'm like, well, this, this is what we do. Let's just go ahead and be honest. Yeah. You just had like such a great tagline, which was knowledge building, activism, and advocacy. And one of the reasons why I wanted to bring you on the show now is I started this series on Podcast Envy that I was calling Pandemic Podcasting Pivots. And it was 
specifically talking with podcasters about how they were being responsive with their content to current times. And I was kind of developing this theory about responsive content strategy and how the pandemic came and people were like, I don't know what I should do. Should I keep talking about what I normally talk about? Mm -hmm. Should I talk about the pandemic, even though I don't know what I'm talking about? Should I stop podcasting because numbers are going down and it seems like maybe fewer people are listening or because my topic isn't really relevant or important right now? And then in the midst of that, then also George Floyd happened, right? And then that mm -hmm. set off a chain of events that was, I think, kind of a delayed reaction in Chicago from my experience because, you know, it happened in Minneapolis and the conversation was like, oh, did you hear what happened in Minneapolis? And it was mm -hmm. kind of like, yes, oh, this is awful. But it wasn't, it wasn't immediately present here. Mm -hmm. And then that chain reaction of protests started and riots mm -hmm. started. And then even then, it was like, here I am in Bucktown Wicker Park, which is slightly northwest mm -hmm. of downtown. And the primary protests and violence was happening in downtown. And I was watching it on the news. And then I felt like the news coverage wasn't really like the corporate news coverage, like ABC and whatever. It didn't feel accurate or complete to me. And so then I looked at Twitter, which I never look at Twitter. I despise Twitter. <laughs> but Twitter was like the only place where I felt like I could get real time, mm -hmm. less corporate filtered information. But then I realized that people were putting all kinds of falsehoods on Twitter and like mm -hmm. fake videos that weren't even in Chicago. The worst one was one night it was late at night and I could not stop looking at Twitter. I think I was developing mental illness in that moment because I couldn't I couldn't take myself away from it. I was glued to it and I was getting tired. It was in the middle of the night and somebody posted, y'all, they broke into Lincoln Park Zoo and started looting the animals. And there was like a video or a, not a video, like a photo of like a wild boar or a wild hog or something running through the street. And it was dark. And I was like, oh, my God, the animals. I started panicking. And I was like, I have to get off Twitter right now. I went to bed and I woke up in the morning and realized that was a hoax that like a bunch of people had posted the same whatever wild boar photo that wasn't even Chicago and the zoo had not been looted. The animals were not. Somebody no. posted like, there's somebody down here trying to sell a monkey for $15,000. All false. <laughs> but, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm trying to like muffle my laughter. <laughs> I remember that evening. I remember all of those Twitter posts. So I'm just like, I remember that. <laughs> like, people out here trying to sell big cats. Yeah. Like, like What? <laughs> And you don't know fact from fiction. You just, it's really hard. It's really hard to tell the difference, especially, you know, if you're not on Twitter a lot. It's like a very weird place. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's, it's funny. I actually became a fan of Twitter. I think this is what they still call it during the Arab Spring, especially when they had the uprising in Egypt. I did not really use Twitter up until that point. And I remember Twitter was, you could see everything in real time. And okay, the yeah. videos and live, like, you know, clips. And I was just completely fascinated with that. And so you flip that to exactly what you're describing. And people have figured out the power of Twitter and the influence of Twitter, but also the fact that it can be manipulated very easily. And it's interesting because that was the first night. So that Friday and Saturday night, especially Saturday, 
I was the first time I've ever listened to a police scanner. And so that I would kind of was like watching Twitter while yeah. listening to the police scanner. And I'm like, okay, I'm not hearing this on the police scanner. It's not true. It was was, you know, kind of how like I was dealing with the situation. But yeah, it's fascinating and and crazy. But I love Twitter. I mean, once you start learning the hashtags, well, it becomes something that's easy to do. Yeah. Um, but I love Twitter. It's like the back alley. You know, it's, it's where you meet all the questionable characters and just, it's amazing to me. I actually love that, love that platform. As somebody who's using a lot of social media, crazy stories about Twitter hoaxes and selling animals in the streets and stuff like that aside, <laughs> in terms of all of the stuff that 2020 has thrown at us so far this year, and I say so far, hoping that there's not a lot more around the corner. What do you see your role? Because there were a few episodes that you've put out recently, right around the time of the protests. I remember you were maybe on your bike recording downtown. You could kind of hear like some mm -hmm. of the sounds of downtown. What do you think as a content creator, as a podcaster, is sort of your role or your responsibility in all of these upheavals? For me, a lot of my listeners actually are outside of Chicago. Which is interesting because I think originally I assumed that's who my audience would be, would be more people outside of Chicago looking in. Because I think that's kind of why, like oh, when I crafted in my yeah. mind, these people who aren't here are hearing about Chicago and thinking it's the worst place ever. Right. And that's not true. So let me, and I was crafting, I think everything was directed towards them. And so in reality, a lot of my audience actually is outside of Chicago. And for me, I, I want to be as a reliable, a witness as I can be to what's actually going on, especially during these times. You know, I was actually there. So the Friday was the first big protest here in the city um, that turned into a riot at some point. But I was there Saturday. <laughs> and so it was really interesting because my, my phone died. The last thing I posted on my Facebook, I said, the situation is devolving so amazingly fast. Like, I, I I wouldn't believe it if I wasn't here because once the protest, it, the, the day was beautiful and it was positive and it felt very powerful. And when that crowd, this, this crowd of people got to Trump Tower, it took 20 minutes for everything just to go like 180 degree turn of energy. The police took this very hard line stance against the protesters. Clubs are swinging. I mean, it, it was so fast. And, and that was the last thing I posted. I was like, yo, this is getting crazy so fast. And my phone died like five minutes later. <laughs> so so friends, everyone's like, oh, my God, where's Dion? Is he OK? <laughs> is he dead? <laughs> so I posted that at, I believe it was six o'clock. Okay. And I got home at night. I got home just as the the lockdown, the curfew kicked yeah. in. So I got home about three hours later and I wish I'd had video because I, I would have been taking audio for sure. But trying to, and, you know, and I got home and I posted just kind of what I saw. And I have the, a good ability. I'm, I don't like to chant. I don't get caught up in the emotion of those events. I think part of that is my military background. You know, I've been in very emotionally charged, tense situations um, in the military. You know, I, I don't get caught up necessarily in the emotion of it all. So I'm able to kind of watch it as a third party, you know, almost if I was a part of the press, which I don't really consider myself that. But I'm able to look at it and kind of just document it all. And, and be somewhat objective and, and know what's, you know, kind of what's right and what's wrong. Is every protester out here making the right moves? Absolutely not. But are the police, and especially having 
had training in the military to deal with riots. We actually did riot control training. I'm like, okay, the police are making every wrong move you could <laughs> you could ever huh. make, you know? And I remember saying that so often. I'm like, the police are just making very bad decisions. And it's agitating the crowd and it's also decreasing their ability to control the crowd. And so, you know, for me, trying to put my history and my experiences and be an objective observer and then I think my next episode, I talked about those things. I was yeah. like, the police made tons of bad decisions, bad moves. They were very aggressive. And, it, and the situation just kind of played its course when you, you know, when those choices are made. And so I think my responsibility is just try to offer an honest perspective. Obviously, yeah. it's, it's colored with my own ideas and thoughts and feelings. But the reality is I don't hate police. You know, yeah. I was raised not to try. I will. I'll say this freely. I was raised not to trust police. If you're familiar with the John, kind of John Burge and the history of the CPD, I remember when those things were kind of like rumors. And now, you know, we know that those things are true. And so I was raised with this idea of like, you you know, you got to mind your P's and Q's, avoid the police. If you interact with them, you know, hands, hands visible at all times, you know, speak slowly, don't move, you know, that kind of thing. I don't hate police, but. They have to be held accountable. Yeah. So I'm I'm trying to portray all that to my listeners as best I can. Yeah. And it's interesting because, you know, as you were talking about that, that perspective of not trusting the police and having real historical reason to not, that was new to me when I was working, you know, in my 30s, working with these high school students who are mostly South and West Side Chicagoans, mm -hmm. mostly male and mostly either Hispanic or Black. And when we started that topic, that season that you were on, and they wanted to talk about police violence, that was like a shock to me because I had grown up, like I said, in middle class, Midwest, Michigan, West Michigan. I was in a city, so we had, not everyone around me was white. I was in public school. Not everyone in my public school was white. But I did grow up with the narrative of the police are there to help you. Mm -hmm. If you're a child and you have a problem, I don't know in what context this happens, that you're like a random child out and about and you have a problem and you happen to randomly see a person in a uniform that you can ask for help. I don't know what world that is, but that was always the thing. Like, you know, they're there to help you. They're there to protect us. It was only in my 30s that I'm having this conversation with my students that I was like, hang on a second. And I asked them, I said, well, how many of you have had a bad situation with, a, like, you you personally have mm -hmm. had a bad situation or what you would describe as a bad situation with a police officer? You know, and these are teenagers. And it was every single boy in my class. Mm -hmm. The only person who didn't raise their hand was the one girl who I had that day. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I started asking them, like, okay, t can you tell me more details about what happened? And they're telling me these stories. And I remember going home from school that day, just being like a big chunk of my worldview just totally changed. Yeah. And the history with the Chicago police, which we don't have time to get into today, but I will link to something in the show notes of the episode because it is really fascinating and awful. Yeah. That was also something that I had never heard of before you came in and you were talking about the history mm -hmm. of that. Which, and that was the first time I had heard that. Mm -hmm. And it's just interesting to me how... There are these things in our history that we just don't know. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It, you know, because I think one of the things you have to remember, too, is now it's, it's frowned upon, even though the, it's, it's being it's being <laughs> it's being celebrated by some parties. Stop and frisk is now right frowned upon fairly, fairly universally. Right. Huh. Just stopping people for no good reason. Turn your pockets out, put your hands in your head, turn around. But at a point in time, that was the everyday thing. That's right. That's what we did. Oh, yeah. you cats. Everybody come here. Line up. You know, and so, you know, you would see that all the time. Guys lined up on, you know, cement, almost like a movie. Bunch of guys lined up, hands on their heads, cops going through their pockets. What are you guys out here doing? They're like, we're just chilling. We're just relaxing. At one point, it was, you have to check the size. Was it groups of five or more were legal at one point in some cities, right? You couldn't congregate because that was considered then like a gang. And, you know, like that stuff was real. And and you would get that harassment that follows that. Not to even mention just that the policy themselves are just, you know, jacked up. And so you have that history. You have the John Burge history. And now like the DOJ comes in, they do a study to go, oh, CPD has violated the civil rights of citizens for decades. You know, and when you get that fact laid on the table, you're like, oh, I knew it all along, but now I'm glad the world is with me. You know, <laughs> that's how I look at it. Yeah. And it's and it's interesting because even a lot of your students, you know, they don't know the history. No, they just know their lived experience, which is yeah. like, yo, they they harass me all the time. And you're like, oh, you know, and you have that, too. Yeah. There was something that you mentioned on one of your recent episodes that I was thinking about where I think it was maybe the Juneteenth episode And you were talking about as a podcaster and being a Black person podcasting is interesting because podcasting is like predominantly white. Mm -hmm. And also, I'll say from my perspective, too, is predominantly white male. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Yes. I've been in podcasting for about five years now, and I have definitely seen over the course of the five years, it's growing overall And I'm noticing more diversity in terms of gender, in terms of race, but it's still predominantly white male dominated Mm -hmm. space. Mm -hmm. And you had mentioned the group that you had joined for Black podcasters and how it was kind of important to have that camaraderie. I'm kind of curious if you can just speak a little bit about your experience and how you view that foray into a media space that feels predominantly white male dominated. <laughs> yeah, oh, no, absolutely. I'm very used to, I'm very accustomed to being like, you know, the joke, I always say like the only speck in the milk, you know, and I think for a couple of years, it was having the black face in a white place. And then when the the movie, Your White People came out, it was being the token black, you know? Uh-huh. And then for a while, there was the big meme token Tuesday and you kind of post stories about, I remember when, you know, oh. <laughs> me and my friends went camping and like, they were like, oh, there's a bear coming. And go get it. <laughs> like, <laughs> what? I don't have superpowers. I'm just black, you know? But no, I'm very accustomed to that. And so for me, it, you know, it really doesn't affect me very much, but especially in this climate, because the worst thing, one of the enduring pieces of the Trump presidency and this period of time is going to be the fact that it makes you question everything and everyone. In, in some ways, you know, I've actually had a great example of this recently, if I may. I do Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I love Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And doing it, you look up to these people who've dedicated their life to the activity. 
and who are amazing competitors. I want to be like that. I want to be driven. I want to be dedicated. And recently, it turns out that one of the best competitors in the world, in the world, 100% best competitor in the world, is extremely racist, extremely xenophobic, sexist. You, you throw it out there. And I was like, what? What? You know, and then he's part of one of the best teams in the world. So then I'm looking at the whole team like, are you all like, you know, like there's so much of that in our professional, personal lives. And that to me is like the worst part of it. And so when I heard about the Black Pot Collective, so that's actually the group you're referring to, Mm -hmm. I was like, you know, it's kind of cool to be in a space where I don't have to worry about, you know, with that baggage is off me for a little bit. I can talk about podcasting. I can learn. And there's not always the worry of like, is this person like me because of me? Is this person actually like me at all or just smile in my face? And there's a lot of that, unfortunately, in 2020. I've had to part company with people I've been friends with for years because I'm like, Mm -hmm. is that really how you feel? You know, you can't respect me and have those opinions. You know, they don't coincide, unfortunately. And actually, just yesterday, I actually did a webinar with a group called Afros and Audio. Yes, I've actually discovered both those groups. And it's just great to also have that support as well. For me, it's more of just having the emotional baggage off my shoulders when we're having conversations, when we're interacting, where I don't. Yeah, it's just that that baggage that unfortunately 2020 has brought and put on the table. But I'm comfortable. You know, I'm always going to do me because of my experience. I have a unique perspective, you know. So, yes, absolutely. I went to a high school that was predominantly white. I went to a college that was predominantly white. When I graduated college, which was another college, St. Xavier University, I received the award as the top history student in the program. I was the only black student in the program. You know, and I remember having that conversation with a professor, one of my favorite professors, a black Republican. And we were talking about, you know, black people in academia. And he was like, you know, he goes, you deserve this award. And we were kind of talking about this. And we kind of got in a conversation. He goes, how many black people are in the program? I was like, well, wow. He goes, you, you, (laughs) you're the diversity of the of the program. And I'm very used to that. When I moved to Alaska, I actually had a man tell me to my face he was glad to see diversity come to town. (laughs) And he meant it in, like, the best way possible. (laughs) And he said it. I kept a straight face. And I said, thank you, sir. And I walked outside and called my mom. And I said, Mom, I'm diversity. (laughs) This is it. (laughs) I've reached the pinnacle of my life now. But, yeah, it is daunting, you know, because you also wonder, will I be able to pull a audience as able to see, you know, see me for me? Not see me as a black person, not see me as whatever they want to see me as um, and just enjoy me for me. Yeah, that makes sense. What advice do you have for a podcaster who is really looking at how they can be more responsive with their content, with whatever is going on around us, whether it be a global health crisis, whether it be violence and riots erupting, whether it be things that have been percolating for a long time that rise to the surface of public discourse and consciousness. And you're trying to create your content and stay connected with your audience, but you're also looking to be responsive to what's happening in the world. Do you have any advice for that podcaster who's just trying to navigate Um, it all? I think we all have a part to play, like in these conversations that are going to be happening over the next however many years, you know, and they're going to get more intense as we get closer to the election. 
And then post-election, they're going to stay intense for like about two years, you know. But I think everyone has a part to play in that discussion. I think the hardest part is just figuring out what is my role to play in this discussion? Is it the fact that I'm completely clueless? And, you know, being willing to be honest about that, like, okay, I'm completely clueless and maybe this is a great opportunity for me to, with my audience or with a, a guest, explore these issues that I, I don't know about, like police brutality. Like that, you know, that's a thing. Yeah, it's a thing, <laughs> you know, and learn. For example, a, a podcast that caught my eye recently, and I don't know even when it started. I don't even think I even looked, but I saw it and I was like, that's genius, was Uncomfortable Conversations with Black People. Oh, is I that the, I think that's the name of, of the, it might even be uncomfortable conversations with a black man. It's this white, it's a white guy. And I, I guess the premise is he just has these conversations about like these like very tough issues with, you know, with a black person. And I was like, that's genius though, because that's kind of what it comes down to. You don't know. And you're going to the source and you guys are having this conversation, a discourse about these things to learn, to parse things apart. I don't have all the answers. My opinions are probably not all the right opinions, but I have my life. I always say I can only speak from what I've experienced. So my life experience to offer and you have your life experience to offer. Like you were saying, you know, up until a certain point, you didn't know that any of this was a thing. And so... For you being able to express that, one, and then two, further explore that to learn is is amazing. And that's a good part of the conversation because there are people who are going to listen to you who will never listen to me. Mm -hmm. That's reality, right? And on the vice, I mean, on the vice versa, there are people who are going to listen to me who are never going to listen to you, right? Yeah, yep, <laughs> like, totally. I don't hear what that white girl got to say, right? <laughs> <laughs> totally. <laughs> you know, but in doing that, we kind of can try to help bring the people who do listen to us closer to the center, right? We, we kind of, I always think of it as a circle. We're all trying to get to the center of the circle where we can all kind of coexist and figure out how we live together. Because in reality, we're not really different. We're, we're different economically. That's really what separates us, right? I heard this great quote I heard the other day, race is not real, but it has real consequences, you know, and that to me, I've said that to my students for years because it's, you know, true. Race is a, a social construct, but it has real consequences in life. And so once you kind of figure that out, that what really separates us in any real sense is actually the economics. You know, how much money I have versus how much money you have is really what separates us, not mm -hmm. the color of our skin. And so once we're able to kind of bring our people closer to the center of understanding and embracing each other, that's really the role that I feel like I want to play in the realm of podcasting. And I think that's what everyone is able to do in their own way. Is there anything else that you want to share with Podcast Envy listeners that you didn't get a chance to say? Man, I'm completely fascinated that you actually listen to my podcast. I feel like Stephen King right now because I'm a big <laughs> fan of yours. And so I'm like, like when you were like, I listen to your podcast, I was like, what? <laughs> and that's amazing. No, thank you so much. Man, I'm on cloud nine and I'm going to be on cloud. Like my friends, I'm being sufferable for like the next week. But I appreciate that. And uh, thank you for the opportunity to chat uh, about these things. I, I truly appreciate it. Podcast Envy is produced by your podcast boss, Andrea Klunder. That's me. The Podcast Envy theme music is by Valentin Sosnitsky, courtesy of the Free Sound Project at freesound.org. And our podcast angel music is by Benjamin Masterpolito, also on freesound.org as Lemon Cream. All music is licensed under the Creative Commons. Our episodes are mixed by Edwin Ruiz. And hey, if you want your show to sound as good as ours, hire us. Put the magic audio mojo of the Creative Imposter Studios to work for you.
Thanks so much for listening. And here's to making your podcast the envy of everyone else.